Matthew chapter 16 is our main text. I want to read from verse 13 to verse 19. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13 to verse 19. I'm reading. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say you are Elias. Others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. I want to focus mainly on verse 18, where Jesus said to Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church. Now, we do understand when Jesus said that he will build his church, he's talking about the entire church universally. The whole church around the world. However, I believe that the principles that Jesus spoke about here and the effect and the impact of the global church, the universal church, can still be true when it comes to a local church. The local church being a microcosm or just a small portion of the universal church. Jesus said, I will build my church. In other words, Jesus has taken on the responsibility of being the one who builds the church. There's only one thing that Jesus is building, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. The church is God's way of impacting the world. The church is the institution that God has placed here on earth to continue the mission of Christ and to bring the mission of Christ to fulfillment. When you read the book of Romans, it talks about how Jesus is sitting at the right hands of the Father and he has his feet on a footstool waiting for us to bring in the work of God to its fulfillment. And so the church is God's dream. Can you say it with me? The church... Say it again. Say it like you believe it. Say it one more time. The church, the church is God's dream. The church is what God is using. So if the church does what God wants it to do, if the church busies itself with the mission of Christ, then the church will have the impact that it should have. Jesus says, the church will prevail against the gates of hell. In other words, he's not building a losing church. He's not building a failing church. He's not building a church that's going to have excuses. He's not building a church that is a defeated church, but he is building a church that is a prevailing church. By the way, when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about these walls. I'm not talking about these bricks and, and this mortar. I'm talking about these people who are looking at me and that I'm looking at. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. The church is you and I. And Jesus said, we will prevail. The church will prevail. And the church will prevail against the gates of hell. 
That word prevail against simply means to overpower. Jesus is saying, I'm building a church that will overpower. I'm building a church that when it gets into a community, it will change the soul of that community. When it comes into the community, when there were problems and challenges, the church will raise its level and minister the love of God in the community so that the community can be a different community. That word prevail means to be strong to another's detriment. Of course, the church will not be strong to the detriment of people, but the church will be strong to the detriment of Satan and all his plans. Satan's power is destroying communities, destroying nations. Many people around the world are being bound by forces of darkness, destroyed by forces of darkness. First of all, many die without knowing Christ as Savior and Lord. Many families are broken because of Satan. Many homes are broken. Many lives are broken. We see people bound by all kinds of things. But the church, when it comes into a community, will, will minister in such a way that people have an encounter with God. And the power of God will be strong against the detriment of Satan's power. That word prevail against means to overcome. God is building a church of overcomers. I don't know about you, but I'm looking at overcomers this morning. I don't know about you, but you are sitting next to an overcomer this morning. I don't know about you, but I believe that the church should overcome. I believe that the church should be on the winning side. I believe the church should be on the victory side. The church is to be an overcoming church. That word prevail means to be superior in strength. The church needs to be superior. Not superior in a sense of looking at ourselves as being better than other people. Not in that way. The church doesn't do that. But superior in power to overcome the power and the strength of the devil. So we find this kind of church exemplified in the book of Acts. When we read how the early church was and the impact that the early church was, the early church then becomes our example. It's important for us to, to, to study what the early church was, what they represent, because that's who we are and that's who we should represent. That's how we should be. That's the impact that we should have. Let's read about the early church in Acts chapter 2, please. From verse 44 to verse 47. Several things that stand out in those verses. Acts chapter 2, 44 to 47. It reads as follows. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. This is after they got saved. You know, people got saved. Peter preached, people got saved. Here they are, they are the church. Verse 43, and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Can I hear an amen? amen. You can see the early church was growing. 
The Lord kept adding. Did you see those churches that started 22 people, 11 people? I like the one in Rockville. It started with 35 people. Not far from the same place where we started years ago with 35 people. They also start with a prophetic number of 35. But the Lord wants to add. Now, what do we learn from the early church? I won't talk about everything in those verses. But just a few things that I think are very important. The first thing we note about the early church is they were winning the lost, winning people far from God, and planting churches. Verse 47, the second part said, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church has the responsibility to win people who are far from God. We have the responsibility to take the gospel to the people who have not been evangelized, to tell people about the love of Christ, to tell people that through the blood of Christ, they can become God's children. The church has that responsibility because we understand from reading God's word that the only way to heaven, the only way to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. We understand from reading God's word that there is none of us who can go to heaven through our own effort. All our works are like filthy rags before God. It is by grace that we are saved, not through our works. We have the responsibility to tell people all over the world that Jesus died on the cross for them. And that Jesus died on the cross that they should be saved and come and know Jesus as Savior and Lord. If the church is not winning the lost, then the church doesn't understand its mission and its role. Much as we do many other things, as you see, we do community projects, we do that, and I'm going to talk about that in a while. And all of those things that we do, good as they are, important as they are, but they can never take anybody to heaven. They can never change somebody's soul and make them, they can make them listen to God. They can grab their attention so that they are open for the gospel that I understand. But at the end of the day, we need to lead people to Christ. We need to tell people that Jesus saves and that is why we don't apologize in churches for making an altar call. We don't apologize in, in taking time and spending money to reach out to other communities. We don't apologize in making altar calls at funerals, at weddings. We don't apologize in going to the stadium during Good Friday to have thousands of people come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. We don't apologize. That's what the church should be doing. We should be busying ourselves with that. And every member of the church must learn how to tell others about Christ and win others to the Lord. The church needs to win the lost and we need to establish ourselves in the presence of communities. This is what church planting is about. We call it a church at your doorstep. You've seen all those churches that we have planted and even more churches have been planted. This is what we're praying about. This is what we're believing God for. And we are praying and asking God that many of you will respond to the call of God. Particularly young people. You know, 25 years and below. Okay, the hallelujah is not there. Thank you for that one single solitary hallelujah, my brother. He is already one of the people who are already been trained. But we need to have young people trained for the work of the ministry. You know, one of the things I've been seeing around as I've been going around many of the churches and so on, and even with our church, it's slightly different, but you know, we, we, we are running the risk of not being able to impact the next generation. That in, in several churches around that I've been to, you know, many of us leaders are already very senior. Many leaders are in their 50s and their 60s and their 70s. 
and some in their 80s, but we don't have people in their 20s who are serving God. And thankfully, you saw some of them there serving God, many of them, you know, and we are looking for more. If you are sitting next to a 20-year-old, just bump them and say, the bishop is looking for you. How? Limuruti pakela mashap. How? Hey, Bazalana, barimo mama kudu, the bishop is looking for you. How many of you are sitting next to a 20-year-old? Can I see if you are sitting next to somebody in their 20s? Just look at them for me and say, you know what, you need to serve the Lord. You need to serve the Lord. You need to say, just look at them and tell them you need to serve the Lord. Yes, he, he, yeah. Even if he's below, yeah, 20 and below, just tell them you need to serve the Lord. You need to serve the Lord, yeah. In fact, anybody below 30, if you are sitting next to a 30-year-old and, and, and below, just look at them and say you need to serve the Lord. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Don't, don't point at them like that. That is very, that is, that's very intimidating. Please, don't do that. <laughs> you know, serving God is not a step down. Becoming a pastor is not a step down. Yeah. Uh, can I hear an amen, Bazala? Yeah. It's not a step down. I'm looking forward. I'm looking this whole row here. I see there's a lot of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. You, you are regretting why you sat in the front. I'm looking at you, you know, all of you, you know. Because you know? some of us, there's things we can do, there's things that we can't do anymore. We can teach, we can start churches, but I tell you, starting a church from scratch is not an easy thing. We'll do it, no problems. I'm going to be leading a church myself. I'm going to be visiting one of our new churches regularly as from next month, starting again from scratch, you know. Because people feel sending to her, Anissa moving, I'm not going to move, Anissa Shonix. Anissa Shonix, so I'm transferring, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, we won't interpret this for the rest of the other people. It's our secret here. So, but you know, Mazalana, we need to be planting churches. We need to be leading people to Christ. That's the first thing. The early church won people to the Lord and planted churches. We cannot claim to be a prevailing church when we are not effective in evangelizing and when we are not effective in church planting. And we need to plant churches, not just in cities. We need to be in rural areas. And not just in South Africa, we need to be in other parts of the world. As you heard in the announcement, we are starting a church in Dubai. In the next month, we'll have a church in Dubai. And then, we'll be, in the next two months, we'll be starting with a church in London. It won't be long, we'll be going to Swaziland and, and Nigeria and uh, Ghana. Oh my goodness, plant churches everywhere. We want to go to Kenya. I, I see a Kenya anointing somewhere this side, you know. But we need to be planting churches. I tell you, it's one of the, 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 the privileges of serving God. Plant churches to see what God does in people's lives when they are reached with the gospel. Secondly, the early church had teaching that is life-changing. Verse 42 says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The church must be rooted and grounded in sound biblical teaching. And I'm telling you, this is so important, so critical. Sound biblical teaching. We need to be students of God's word. Study God's word. Make sure what we preach is biblically correct. Make sure, as the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
It's a worrying thing that there is a tendency today to have all kinds of sermons come from pulpits or things that are taught in church circles that are a conglomeration of all kinds of self-help, DIY, buy it off the shelf stuff that is not biblical at all. Now, there's nothing wrong in us illustrating and using current whatever. No, there's nothing wrong. But the, the reason we do what we do is we have to base what we do on God's word, not on experiences. Even if an angel came to me last night and spoke to me last night. Now, I'm not saying it happened. I'm just saying if. Some of you are starting to say, Ooh, what did he say? Nothing. There's no angel that came. But even if an angel was to come, if that angel is not talking about what is in God's word, then we don't regard what that angel is saying. There's no supernatural experience that we have to build our lives on that cannot be biblically substantiated. Unfortunately, sometimes people want extreme things. They want sensational things. You know, sometimes people want spectacular things. You know, hang from the chandelier, walk on the ceiling kind of gospel. But we need to be established in sound biblical teaching. Why? Because it's only God's word that changes lives. Not my views, not my philosophies, but only God's word that changes lives. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's able to divide asunder between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Can I hear an amen? amen. Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says to him, preach the word. Preach the word. Don't preach in just a how. Preach the word. Preach the word. Just preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Preach the word. Paul exhorts Titus, a young leader, in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Oh my goodness, we need sound doctrine. Things that are founded on God's word, not sensationalism. Jesus says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. We can never build something that will withstand the power of Satan if it's not built on God's word. It's got to be built on the foundation of the word of God. And this is what we're here for in church. We are here, Barcelona, to learn from God's word. We are here to receive from God's word. We are here to study God's word. Can I hear an amen? That's why it's good for you to bring a Bible. It's good for you to take notes. It's good for you to go home after you've heard a sermon to check what was said if it is so. Don't just swallow it because it was said in the name of God. Don't just swallow it because somebody prophesied it over you. Check if it is so. The early church taught the life-changing power of God's word. I believe it's only God's word that is able to transform lives. Only God's word that is able to change lives. Only God's word that's able to take a broken life and put it back together again. Only God's word that is able to inspire hope in a hopeless heart. Only God's word that's able to give vision to somebody who has lost all vision of living. Only God's word that is able to take us out of the mud clay and put us on another level in God. Only God's word is able to do that. And that's what we must do in church. Preach the word without apology. Preach the word without compromise. Preach the word of God without getting tired. Preach the word whether people receive it or they don't receive it. Preach the word. 
Preach the word whether it seems good or it seems bad. Preach the word. Preach the word when it's cold. Preach the word when it's hot. Preach the word when there's a full attendance. Preach the word when only, there's only two people in the church. Preach the word. Preach the word. We need to have teaching that is life changing. That's what the early church had. Teaching that is life changing. Number three, they had worship that is meaningful. Worship that is meaningful and life changing and life transforming. That's what the church should be. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. And I'm using the word worship as an umbrella term to include praying, singing songs of worship to God, everything that we do. Worship needs to be our top priority. See, Basalan, we are here to have an encounter with God. We're not here for a personality. We're not here to worship anybody. We are here to worship Jesus. That's why we sang earlier, it's all about you. It's all about you. We are here to have an encounter with God. In worship, this is where we focus on God. And therefore, when we come to church, we must come as a responsive people. Come as people who are open to the move of the Holy Spirit. Bring a good, healthy attitude with you to church. I was preaching in Reba last week, Sunday, you know, and uh, please forgive me for what I'm about to say. I'm just trying to clarify, you know, and just trying to illustrate this point. And, you know, in the audience, there was a certain gentleman in the audience you know, I did two services. In one of those services, there was a certain gentleman there. And, and he looked very dignified. You know, some people look very dignified. How many of you are sitting next to a very dignified person right now? Okay, I see somebody pointing to himself. Lord have mercy. You, 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 know, you know, the truth is this. We, we are all dignified, but there are, all, there are other people who are, who, are, who are dignified. You know, now we are dignified, Marabona. They are dignified, you know. He, and you know, from, from having seen people who look like that, in a dignified, very controlled, measured, you know, calm, perceptive, introspective, you know, and all those, you know, and I, and I, and I just thought to myself, I'm sure this gentleman, when I preach, is just going to sit there and look at me. You know, because I've seen that happen in many, many parts of the world. They're just people like that, they just sit and look at you. They, they don't say amen, they don't say ena, they don't say HR. They don't say anything. They just sit and look at you. You know, they're very calm because they're not emotional, you know. They're very measured. Anybody sitting next to some measured somebody right now? Uh, they're very measured, you know, very calculative. Uh, 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 uh. And it's very interesting, those very people, if they're going to watch a soccer match, all the measuredness goes out the window. But you know, in church, they're all measured and they're all nice. And, uh, and then I started preaching. And you know, he got up, started shouting. He was shouting more than everybody. Hallelujah. Oh, oh. And I said, wow, what a shock. Look at your neighbor and say, what a shock. Look at your other neighbor and say, what an aftershock. Hey. You know, I found, I found this out. When you bring a healthy attitude, you receive more. I know I'm not an emotional person. I know you're not emotional. It's okay, you know. I know you're not emotional until you go to your soccer match. <laughs> But you know, I found when I come to church and I attend church as well and I bring a healthy attitude, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to get along with the preacher, you know. 
you know, encourage them, you know, say amen, say ena, say etia, say something or something. When I'm taking notes and I'm worshiping, I receive more. Than when I'm sitting there and say, bless me if you can. Just check if you can, I can move. But we are here, people, to have an encounter with God. We are here to worship God and focus on God. We are here to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit starts dealing with our lives. When altar calls are made and we need to respond to God. I don't mind, I will respond. I will walk all the way to the front. I will kneel in front here. We are here to receive from God. We are here to sing to God, to raise our hands. We are here to pray with intensity and fervency. See, the, the, the kind of church that, that Jesus is talking about, it's a church that has meaningful worship. And let's be honest, Pazalana, sometimes church can be so dead. And we can go on with our, 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 our processes and our, uh, our routines and, and, and everything is just dead and dry and, 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 and there's no life and there's no anything. But you know, a church needs to be a meaningful place. But when you have been to church, you know you've had an encounter with God. You may not be able to explain it fully. You may not have the religious language to explain what happened to you. Maroksalayo, you know you were touched by God. Can I hear an amen? Now, I know people call it emotionalism. I know they call it sensationalism. But if that emotionalism made me to be a faithful husband, if that emotionalism made me to be a good father, if that emotionalism made me to love God more, if that emotionalism made my, somehow I, I started being, being healed in my body and being well, if that emotionalism made me to love my neighbor when I was full of hate, then let me have more emotionalism every day in the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. When I went to Bible school, the, there's a, we had one of our colleagues who was a, wasn't a very happy somebody, you know, and he, he didn't like laughing a lot. You know, some people, you know, they don't want to laugh. It's almost like their face is going to crack. <laughs> you know, but he was, he was one of them. You know, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, when I went to Bible school, I was fairly young. My friend and I, Kenny, we were very young, you know, very, very young. I think I was, I was, old, I was 19 years old when I went to Bible school. So I was still very youthful, not childish, but youthful. So I loved to laugh, we'd make jokes. And he, I remember him calling me into his room one day. And he literally, I don't even remember what verse he showed me to prove to me that Jesus never laughed. <laughs> Some of you are behaving like Jesus never laughed. You know, and he actually, actually told me that Jesus never laughed. He said, you know, he said Jesus was never emotional. And I, I know probably he was watching a lot of movies where they depicted this Jesus who is always neutral, always speaks in a monotone voice, come to me all you... <laughs> Who oh, are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. He's never angry. He's never sad. He's never happy. I don't know how we read the Bible. How many of you know children are never attracted to somebody like that? But in the case of Jesus, children were attracted to him. Yeah. His disciples said, no, 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 no. He said, no, no, let the little children come to But you know this Jesus that we talk about. He never laughs, never happy, never, you know. Somebody said, yeah, Jesus, Jesus never made noise, he never shouted. He said, it's true, maybe he never made noise, he never shouted, but everybody that he touched. 
I don't know about you, but I have been touched by Jesus Christ. Maybe he never laughed. Maybe he never made noise, but my goodness. Anybody that he touched, they shouted, they made noise, they ran around, they jumped, they went and called the whole city. They, they were just uncontrollable. How many of you have been touched by Jesus? See, when we, we, when we come to church, we must come to have an encounter with, we must open our hearts to have an encounter with God. I don't know what it is, Bazalana. Having an encounter with God, you might not be able to experience, uh, rather explain what it means. But your life becomes different. You start loving people that you didn't love before. Caring about people you didn't care for before. You, you start living right. You know, certain habits fall off your life. You know, you, you used to do this, now you don't do it, you know. And you, you try to be a good husband, a good wife, and good father. Yeah, thank God bring more emotionalism. God, I want to be a good person. But we've come to church to worship and to have an encounter with God. Can I hear an amen? amen. Number what? Number four. In the early church, the people connected with other believers in a meaningful way. This is important. Verse 44 says of Acts chapter 2, And all that believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, They continued daily with one accord in the temple, in the breaking of bread from house to house. They did it meet with gladness and singleness of heart. What, is it, what does it mean? We encourage people to build lasting and significant relationships by belonging. You know, I'm first realizing the church is, is a family on its own. Now, I'm not, I'm not in any way suggesting that we should be this exclusive group that isolates itself from everybody. That's not, I'm not in any way suggesting that. All right? We need to relate with all people everywhere. But you see, the reason it's important to belong to a local church and to connect to a local church is that that becomes the, uh, your, your own spiritual family where you connect with people in meaningful relationships. It's, it's almost difficult to walk this journey of Christianity alone. I'm telling you. All of us need somebody who's going to walk this journey with us. And it's, 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 it's difficult to stay in a place when you are all alone. And you don't connect. Why? Because people get lost in a crowd. It is through belonging and connecting that character development best happens. So when I'm connected with somebody and they're my friend, they help me to develop in Christ-likeness. Because when I start losing my temper, they say, hey, hey, Mzalana doesn't do that. You understand what I mean? Eh? So it's always good because there are other people who can help us. See, Christianity is not just about what you know, but it's about how you live. We need to have other people journey with us. You cannot fully live out your faith in isolation. We need to become a faith community that lives in intimate relationships with Christ and with one another. A church is not just a group of people who only show up on Sunday morning. But it's people who are emotionally connected by their love for Christ and their commitment to each other. It's in the church. I mean, many people met here. Many couples met here. Yeah. You met your significant other here. Yeah. You were innocently worshiping the Lord and then you saw this lady. Jesus. Hey. You couldn't concentrate and focus. 
throughout the worship. Come on, ladies, you also did the same now. Don't act like you're innocent. Maybe you had a situation and a problem in your life and somebody was there to help you. You had a domestic situation, no money, no food in the home. Somebody pitched up to help you. You went through a time of grieving, lost a loved one. Was in so much pain, but there was somebody who came to be with you. Oh, that's what a church is there for. We're here to connect with one another. And I was telling them in the first service, if I didn't have friends, I don't know if I'd still be a Christian today. Friends who walked with me. Ever since I became a Christian, the late Jerry Dechela, Spiwe Zuma, you know, uh, Musa Zuma, many other people that I was, Kiyo, Ubabu Mnatis, Shaba Yababa, Friends who people who become your friends. You know, they are your friends. They, they know you even when you let your head down. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because I don't have hair. The Lord have mercy on you. Even if when you let your head down, whatever little is left of it, at least they understand. You know, when you've had a bad day, they're there for you. And then when I became a pastor, I started meeting other pastors who became my friends. Pastor Dikosa, this guy on Pizangelo Bone, God forgive him. <laughs> and Bishop Daki Watmills, many other friends. Just having friends. People that, when, when life is not making sense, and when you're having marital problems, and raising children problems, and church problems, personal problems, when you want to backslide. I know some of you have never thought of backsliding. I've considered it many times. I just never did it. Because there were other people who encouraged me, said, don't do that. When, when church work is tough, and you don't have answers, you know, sometimes you may feel that you're the only one who's going through that, what you're going through. Until somebody tells you, you know, last three years ago, God helped me through this. Can I pray for you? Can I hear an amen? amen. Galatians 6.2 said, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Number five. Is that number five? Yes. Number five. And in conclusion, the church, the early church was a beacon of hope. A beacon of hope. We need to be a beacon of hope to our world. No, it, the church is a place of hope, Lord. Hope. We may not be able to answer all questions. Huh? We may never be able to solve everybody's problem immediately, but at least if we can give people hope. You know, that's what I'm realizing. The more I'm leading the church, the more we do this, the more I realize, you know, you know so sometimes all you need is just to give people hope. Yeah. If, 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 if there can just be a spark of hope, God will lead them through and God will bring them out of it. Can I hear an amen in the house? But the church needs to be that beacon of hope to the world. Matthew 5 from verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men, before men, that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. The church should be doing good works. We should be ministering to our community. The presence of the early church changed the society around. When Philip went to Samaria and when he preached in Samaria, in Acts chapter 8 verse 8, it says there was great joy in the city. 
The church should bring that difference. The church should be the catalyst for change. I mean, our world is filled with bad news. So much that is going wrong in our world. And when I talk about hope, I'm not talking about false hope. I'm not talking about escapism. No, I'm talking about still living in this present evil world, but with people whose hearts are filled with hope. People who still know that there is a tomorrow because God has my life in the palm of his hands. And so when we reach out to people who are destitute, reach out to people who are in prison, when we clothe the needy, feed the hungry, Jesus said it in Matthew 25 from verse 31, the son of man shall come in his glory and all his holy angels and all nations shall be gathered. He will separate them as a shepherd. Verse 33, he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say unto those on the right hand, come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will say, but Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty? When did we see you as a stranger? When did we see you naked? When did we see you sick or in prison? Verse 40, the king will answer and say, in so much as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. So when we as a church go into the community, feed the hungry, clothe those who are needy, care for the destitute, when we go in there to do that, then we are being the kind of church that God is dreaming about. Very often, the message of the gospel needs to be preached through good deeds. Where the love of God is preached through acts. Acts of goodwill. And so as the church, we need to be that kind of church. Let me conclude by summing up all these points. This is what Pastor Ray says about the church. Of course, he derived it from the Bible, but he uses these expressions to explain what a prevailing church is, the kind of church that God is dreaming about. Number one, the church must be evangelistically potent, powerful when it comes to evangelism, church planting. The church, number two, must be spiritually vibrant. The church, number three, must be prophetically relevant. And number four, the church must be socially significant. And I believe God is giving us that challenge to be that kind of church. And we are determined to be that kind of church. And wherever the church goes, if the church is the church, there's nothing like the church when the church becomes the church. We are the extension of Jesus Christ on this earth. When he was raised up into heaven and went and sat on the right hand of the Father, he delegated the responsibility to the church and said, continue with the mission that I had 
You become my feet. You become my hands. You become those who will be in contact with people. I as the head, I'll give you instructions. But you become my physical presence on the earth. And that's why we are planting churches. That's why we are praying about planting more churches. And that's why we're asking you, when God speaks to you about leading one of the churches, please don't say no. Come and become part of the mighty army that labors in the fulfillment and God's vision. Will you raise your hands and just begin to pray and just thank God for his word.